0: Okay, episode three. Today we have Sean Folkson from Night Food. We have James Slavitt from survey.com. Hello, we are jumping right into it. Sean, yes, sir. talk to us about Night Food. When did it start? How did it start? Talk to us about the brand a little bit. Let's go. Well, we
1: launched the ice cream just a little over a year ago. Before that, we had nutrition bars. And what we found was that people want a better nighttime snack. I got the idea years ago. Uh, We didn't have the statistics that we have now. Now we know that 80% of Americans snack regularly at night. We know the most popular choices are cookies, chips, ice cream, and candy. But when I started the company, we didn't know that people were eating so much junk at night. And now we also understand why. We know it's biologically driven you know, bears before they hibernate, they're programmed to eat whatever they can. They need to store as much uh, energy in the form of calories in their body before hibernation. And humans carry a lot of that same biological programming. And it was life and death for cavemen thousands of years ago, but now when we've got a million calories in the fridge, it's kind of working against us. I didn't know all that stuff when I decided to start the company, but my gut told me that nighttime snacking was a problem. And I mean that literally, and figuratively, my gut was telling me this was a problem. It was for me and for a lot of other people. And we knew that uh, these cravings were not going to go away. We wanted to give people a better choice. The bars came out. People loved the idea. Um, but I think a lot of people that were eating the worst stuff, bars were not their problem. They were eating ice cream and cookies and chips. And that's when we decided to launch the ice cream. And that's when things really started to take off. When
0: was that pivot? What, what year was that? And how long did it take you to make that transition?
1: Uh, well, we always, I always wanted to launch the ice, to do ice cream. And I always felt, well, when the bars get to a certain level, you know, when, when we do this with the bars and we do that with the bars and that was never coming. And it turns out that I think the format of bars was holding us back. So a uh, little over, little under two years ago, I decided we we're going to launch the ice cream, even though the bars had never tipped to the point where we wanted them to. Uh, and within six or eight months, we had ice cream being manufactured, run on the line, uh, we were rolling into supermarkets. I mean, it was an amazingly fast process. Uh, we had some great people. We have a great scientific advisory board—sleep and nutrition experts—that helped us formulate. We got really lucky. I don't know if I have time to tell the story, but we got really lucky on the R and D side, and um, you know, it's just been an amazing thing. We're now in divisions of Albertsons and Kroger, and we're expecting to roll in. You know, before this whole thing happened, we had a, a really, uh, we had a lot of meetings that we're, we're trying to set up. And now it's just going to be pushed back a few months.
0: Yeah. That's a, that could be the whole, a whole other episode, right? Talking about what's happening now and how does it affect our brains. Right. Um, yep. Let's talk about the freezer aisle though, right? Yeah. It's, kind of, it, it's, its, own, it's its own animal, uh, right? Um, is that a, a more difficult category, even in assumption, even though you dealt with bars? Talk a little bit about what that looks like as far as distribution and how, how is it different?
1: Well, we never really got to the point with bars where we were rolling into supermarkets like we are now. So I don't know that I'd be qualified, you know, to judge it. I do know that, um, you know, the freezer section is, is really expensive to do business in. Uh, obviously, logistically, it's, it's tricky. You know, anytime we want to send samples to people, you know, it's a logistical nightmare when I travel on business trips. Uh, to do sales calls we've got to figure out how to get me there how to get the ice cream there it's really hard to travel with so it creates a lot of logistical problems certainly also more expensive from what I understand but like I said I never really
0: got to this level with the bar so I I can't really compare it intelligently. Uh, Talk to us a little bit about direct to consumer with with a frozen item Uh, how is it done and um, and can you do it and are you doing something like that right now?
1: Yeah it's a great question I mean we can do it um, but for us we decided recently to lower, shipping is obviously much more expensive. You've sure. got the cost of the cooler, the cost of dry ice, special handling. And we had been pricing our ice cream uh, similar to the other brands out there where you know people would, basically by the time you're getting eight pints, it's costing you about 65 bucks, including delivery. And that's true whether you order Ben and Jerry's online or Halo Top, and it was true of night food. A couple of months ago, we landed an endorsement by the American Pregnancy Association. And we nice. realized and started to believe that there was gonna be a lot more demand. And we were selling some ice cream online, but it was never a big part of our business. And what we decided to do at that point is we decided to drop the, uh, drop the shipping costs. Uh, we were basically gonna forego just about all of our profit because if there was pregnant women in Seattle or Oklahoma City, or anywhere where we weren't that wanted the ice cream. We wanted to get it to them, not necessarily out of altruism, although I could say that was a part of it, but the truth is that woman is, she's, she's talking to other people, she's got friends, she's in discussion forums, and we want her also you know, walking into her local supermarket and saying, hey, why do I have to buy this ice cream online? I love this, it's better for me, it's better for my baby, I want you to add it to the store. So for us, e-commerce, there's no profit in there at all. Um, but we have it there because we want people to be able to try it because we want them to be able and, and excited to talk about it and, and spread
0: the word that way. Got it. Good stuff. Um, let's talk money. You have, uh, you're public. Uh, yes. and so, you know, again, that, again, this could be a whole other, uh, small series that you and I could and should do after this, yeah. right? Um, how, how did you do that in short? Um, and, and did you have to raise a little bit prior to that? Was there private money that came in? Uh, and, and what, what, what does that look like? What was sort of the, the timeline?
1: Oh, yeah, the time, it was a long timeline. It's a long <laughs> process. But what happened is, you know, I had put all my money into the business and we were, we were kind of trying to figure out the bars. It all comes with the belief. I knew this category. I still believe this nighttime nutrition category, it has to exist and it's going to be a billion dollar category. So I was going to stop at nothing because the thing I left out earlier All these consumers snacking at night, there's about 700 million snacks every week being consumed between dinner and bed. And that's a billion dollars a week. So I knew it was coming. I couldn't raise the money privately. Um, I was out there trying to do it. I had all my money into the business. We had a group that said, look, if you take the company public, we'll give you the money you need to keep operating. So that was the deal I made. Um, I think, you know, it it cuts both ways. Sometimes it's a huge benefit. Sometimes, uh, you know, it's a royal pain in, in the butt. Um, you know, it comes with, it's, it's, it's a whole other job for me, basically running a public company. And I don't recommend that anybody do it just because the odds of you getting that same deal that I got is probably never going to happen. Um, it was just weird. We're really early to be public, but we've got a lot of, we've got over 5,000 investors and they're super enthusiastic about what we're doing. They believe as I do, and they're also out there spreading the word. So it's a really interesting dynamic to have all these owners out there marketing
0: just like I am. Yeah, I could see that there's two ends of that spectrum, right? Um, and and it's a difficult one either way. But uh, you know, again, we we could dive into that uh, at some other point. Yeah. Let's talk about what do you, what do you look like right now, and what does night food look like in 12 months? Let's also just I'm going to give the optimism here because that's who we are. That's who I am. Everything sort of softens and 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 sort of let's uh, let's go here and let's say. 21-ish days and then there's another small softening for another 30 to 60 days and things start getting back to normal by mid-summer. What do you look like then in 12 months? Well, I think the main thing is it's one thing to be named the official
1: ice cream of the American Pregnancy Association, but it's another thing to actually earn your spot as truly the official ice cream within the lives of these pregnant women that are out there. And I don't think people realize, I didn't realize there's 3 million pregnant women out there at any given time in the United States. And that's, that's as many pregnant women, if not more as there are vegan women, that's as many pregnant women, if not more as there are women on keto. So it's a huge market. So over the next few months, that's our goal is to kind of establish ourselves within that community and get to the point where we tip within that community. And that's going to drive all the growth. That's going to drive all the retailers to really kind of be forced to put us in. Uh, I think within the next 12 months, if we can accomplish what we need to do in the next few months, then 12 months from now, we're going to be rolling into uh, you know, thousands more stores. We're in between 5 and 700 now. One of our resets has gotten a little bit uh, pushed back because of, the, because of the virus. So we'd be in 700 stores now. Like I said, Kroger and Albertsons divisions would, would be carrying us or are carrying us already. But I think really within the next few months, if we're able to do what we can in the pregnancy space, I think, first of all, from a stock perspective, we're going to have all the capital we need. Um, we're going to be able to expand the team, cover the slotting and and the production required. And it's just going to be a, just a turbocharged second half of this year. Um, it's it's really exciting. And the virus, it's, it's not really, it's just pushing us back a little bit. People are, they're home more, they're eating more ice cream. They're looking for more of these small comforts. Um, obviously, we wish it never happened. Obviously, we want to get back to normal. But... You know, on the spectrum, there's the guys that are manufacturing hand sanitizer, and then there's the people, you know, that, that were owning movie theaters and, and where they just have, you know, it's just a slam for them. And we're kind of in the middle. Um, so it's just pushing us
0: back, but we're going to be great. Awesome, man. Congratulations on everything thus far. Now to close out the show, James Slavitt, survey.com. Who are you guys who are you for? Tell us about it.
2: Hey Mark, uh, thanks for the intro there. Yeah, survey.com. Um, our core focus is that emerging branch Sean. the story that you just told is one I'm hearing different shades of kind of all over the place right now. Ultimately our, our process, what we do is we're a platform that allows brands to scale their field service, field sales and merchandising teams. So we have a national localized workforce um, and we basically leverage data and technology all across the country to drive store-level, shelf-level results as opposed to just banner-level targeting. that sort of takes shape in the form of, you, know, you have out of stocks at a big box that you didn't expect and you need to get people into stores that you don't normally cover. You're launching in a new grocery store where again, you don't want to necessarily have permanent coverage. Uh, you need brand ambassadors, demo work for places that aren't near your, your base of operations. Uh, you're looking to expand through activation at C stores, local specialty markets, that kind of stuff. All that work kind of falls under what we do and I thought a, a sort of way to, to sort of close it out would be we essentially have four pillars to our business um, that I think really articulate who we are. The first is one rep, one brand. That means every time someone goes into the store for one of our brands, they're representing only that brand. And that we think is key to what we do because it means instead of going in and getting five minutes as one of 50 brands for someone, you have someone that has one goal and it's the goal of whatever brand they're representing right there. The second core tenant for us is what we call total visibility. And what that really means is every time we do work in a store, there's photos, there's data captured, it's QA'd, it's presented to the client, then it's built. So every piece of work is shown before it's built. We say use the data you know, our, our founders, um, this started as a market research company, but our founders are founders. These are serial entrepreneurs that have been you know mortgaging homes and scrapping and hustling to keep businesses alive for a long time. so what we say is use the data because what we mean is the insights that we capture that leverage what we do the market research background is huge, but really we use that day to day to make sure that the visit that we 're happening then, the actions that we take in store are improved right there on the spot, not just Reporting at the end that says, Here's all this stuff you could have done. It's this is driving the actions that we did take in store. Uh, and the last is target ROI. And what we really mean by that is we're going to take our insights, our data, our algorithms to make sure that the person with the right skill sets does the right job to get the client's objective completed. And so if we take the sort of listen, it's all about this ROI for this person. What it means is, you know, if I've got a brand ambassador who does great work with demos and something comes up that needs a manager interaction to talk them through a new product that's launching, those skill sets are similar. But that person probably wouldn't do an overnight reset job, one of the ones that, you know, didn't happen in the last few months, um, which will happen day after, you know, that'd be a different person with a different set of skills. So that's really the four principles that, that help us to scale brands quickly.
0: Cool. Nice work. Awesome. Nicely done. James, Sean, information right below. Appreciate having you on. I will talk to you soon, of course. Hope all is well. Take care.
1: Thank you so much, Mark.
0: Thanks, James. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Sean.